Greetings and welcome to Yes, a Stripper podcast. Today, we have a lovely chat with sex educator extraordinaire, Eden X, as she discusses her origin stories, erotic poetry, her time at Sex Down South Convention in Sanctuary Noir. I am your Hopra, Gigi Holiday. Alrighty, hello everybody, and I am here with my good, good Judy, my, like, just, how should I put it? My co-ho, my co-ho. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> my co-bad bitch, the drum to my flat, the tea to my coffee, That's Eden right. X. Eden, say hi to everyone. Hello, everybody. You know, I got to give the full intro now that I'm here with you and your people so hello, everybody. I go by the name of Jennifer Eden, a.k.a. Eden X, a.k.a. Slut of the Month, a.k.a. Femme Daddy, a.k.a. Biggie Shorty, a.k.a. Holly Pocket, a.k.a. J.E. Heartbreak. I love it. I love that you have so many names, like a really well-known rapper. That's how I feel every time I get to do that. And when people ask, like, all the different origins of the names, I've earned them all and I'm, I'm proud of them. Fem Daddy is definitely one of my favorites, um, mainly because I love looking at you in a suit. I love a suit. I love because you put on the suit and the titties is out at the same time, and exactly. it's, it gives I very young and sexy. It also gives like adult granimals. Like I don't have to think about what goes with what. The things just go. It just got the adult granimals. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. Like Fem Daddy will always be my favorite one to where if anybody else says Fem Daddy, I'm just like, you're, you're not Eden X. So sorry. My Fem Daddy is Eden X and will always be Eden X. Like Fem Daddy. So much. I love being an originator. I've had so many Fems come up to me and say like, yes, this, this identifies how I feel. Like I too am a femme daddy. And I'm like, you get to be that. However, I am the femme daddy. Yeah, no, you are the femme daddy. I am just femme daddy light. Like, (laughs) (laughs) like it's there, but I'm, how should I put it? I'm, I'm, I'm just have dad energy because I think that dads have an easier job. Uh, in the parent realm. Um, I agree. But also, but also dads get a lot of respect. And, <laughs> I always and a big, big piece of chicken. That's, listen, can we just, the big piece of chicken though. Yes. Like the daddy piece. The daddy piece. Like Still next delicious. time you're at a, a family function, a gathering where people are safely breaking bread together, just look at the size of the piece of chicken on people's plates and that's who's daddy. It might not be who you assume it is, but the person with the big piece of chicken is in fact daddy in that situation. Facts. Facts. It's daddy, big daddy. All righty, Eden. I want to ask you. What is your origin story? I love it. This feels like I'm a comic book character. and uh, Because you are a superhero. Let's start there. So uh, what is your origin story? So I guess my origin story goes all the way back to being 
a nine-year-old with titties and people making all sorts of assumptions about my body and what I was willing to do and what type of access they had to me. And I have always been the type of person that equips myself with information. Information has always been my armor. And so I was a kid who read the dictionary. I was a kid who actually my mom collected vintage Playboys because she was very much into the pinup aesthetic. And she had a whole collection of like Marilyn Monroe things. And so I used to sit in my mom's closet wearing her heels and leafing through vintage Playboys back when the writing was like juicy and they gave really great like editorial and op-eds. Oh my goodness. And so when my body started to look like what I saw in Playboy, but I didn't have the life experience to match it, I knew that I had to have something that protected me from people's assumptions about my body. Mm-hmm. I started reading all sorts of books about puberty and development. And I think I had this book called The Body Book, um, where it was like a bunch of little cartoons and cutouts. And I think it even had like pop-ups. It was wild. Um, but that was how I really started with this whole sex education world. It was very much for me. And then all throughout middle school and high school, as other folks' bodies started to develop and as other people had questions about what their development meant, they came to me because teachers didn't have the answers. The school nurse didn't have the answers. Parents didn't have the answers, but they might've had a backhand for you if you started asking too many questions. So I became a sexpert before a sexpert was really a thing, before I even knew to call myself that. And even now that language feels weird and watered down, but it was literally because I read a lot and I was able to figure out who I am sexually before I ever had sex. So I'm queer as fuck. I fuck women and folks who are on the the femme aligned end of the gender spectrum. Um, And I figured out early on that gender has very little to do with genitalia, that gender has much more to do with how you are socialized than anything else. And so I float around in gender just as much as the people that I'm attracted to and the people that I fuck float around in gender. And that has been really liberating for me and has also allowed like liberatory space for the people in my world. They get to look at me in a suit and they're like, oh, that's sexy. I thought you had to wear a dress and heels to be sexy. And they get to look at me on a date with somebody in a potentially very similar aesthetic. And they're like, oh, I didn't know that masculine aesthetics could vibe together in this way. And now I see that as a possibility and I'm open to a world that includes that. And so it wasn't until 2016 that I realized this was what I am supposed to be doing in the Mm. world. Um, I've run away from being a teacher my entire life. All of my aunts are teachers. I come from a family of teachers and I ran away from that because they all seemed miserable. So I didn't want to be a teacher, but I realized that teaching people about sexuality, about pleasure, about the possibilities that 
arise when you open yourself up to gender variance and sexual exploration and fluidity. Like that is, that is very much what I am here to do. I consider myself a possibility model. Like I'm down to try all sorts of things, um, not just like in my partnerships and in the bedroom or wherever things happen, but also like going out and exploring different venues, different communities, different types of play, different modes of sensual expression. That's how I got into dancing. I was like, I need a place to put all of this sensual energy and thus was born Eden X. So that is why I have so many aliases and so many AKAs because what I do shows up in so many worlds in so many different places. But everywhere that I show up, I still get to be me. And I love that about this work. I love that. First of all, also as a kid who ended up with big boobs at an early age, you are exactly correct. People make the assumptions about you and you're just like, no, I still want to play with ponies, bitch. Like leave me alone. You know, but oh my God, I love how your education was vintage Playboys. Yes. Like, so I had this attraction to this like high glam, high femme aesthetic. But I also was able to build on that and realize that that's not the only thing that's sexy. That's not the only way to be feminine. That's not the only way to like display sensuality and sensual energy but it's gorgeous. (laughs) It is. It is. I tell people all the time, real sex was the thing that really drew me in. My parents put cable in my bedroom and I discovered real sex on HBO. And I, it, I never looked back. Like I remember seeing, I don't know if you remember seeing this, but it was like Miss Black nude. Yes, absolutely. At hedonism in Jamaica. Yes. And apparently there was a burlesque performer, a black burlesque performer who was there competing. Oh, wow. I had no and, idea. And I, exactly. I didn't know. So I have been watching this person ever since. So when they were just like, oh yeah, such and such was there. And I was like, first of all, how old is this person? Second of all, bitch, I need to, we need to talk. Like, <laughs> we need to know you. We need to, we need, we to, need to know you. you. <laughs> That is how I feel. I have that same association with real sex in regards to sensual and erotic poetry because mm. real sex, I introduced the Punani poets. And from there, I went down a path of like erotic poets and writing erotic poetry, connecting with erotic poets. And like erotic poetry, I always say that sex is my first language and poetry is my second. And erotic poetry is how I'm bilingual. So it's funny because I actually do also speak French. So I am bilingual. But erotic poetry combines my love and passion for sex and my love and passion for poetry. And it also is a way that I get to educate people. Everybody don't show up to the open mic venue expecting to learn how to put on a condom or how to find a clit or that there are way more erogenous zones on your body than you've ever been told, but they get to learn that through my poetry. And so that's always been really dope. And I think 
real sex for exposing me to that and to tantric breathing and oh. naked yoga and washing your dildos in the dishwasher. I learned that on real sex also. <laughs> I, oh my gosh, yes. Washing your dildos. But I also got the opportunity to witness your erotic poetry and actually be the person that you like read it to uh, at a show. And I will admit I melted. One, you were in the suit. You were in a red suit. I remember it was like a red burgundy suit. And I was just like, oh, okay. Um, this is a new feeling, but it really wasn't a new feeling, you know, cause I'm queer. Uh, <laughs> but your, your poem was extraordinary that's all I could say like I one of my favorite pieces to perform it's called Ode to Femmes and I wrote it damn near 15 years ago at this point that's how long I've been hitting open mics um I really wrote it as a way to introduce myself as a queer person and also to protect myself from the open mic creeps if you've ever been to a poetry open mic you know there's some dude sitting in the corner talking about blessed queen like I just want to let you know that I'm feeling your energy like I don't I don't really need all of that I'm just here to do my thing sir so you can take your oils and you can take this offering of a beverage with who knows what in it. And I'm going to be over here celebrating women and femmes because that is what I do. It's, it's always the grand risings, my queen. It's always the always. grand risings. <laughs> it's always grand. the person who calls you queen or a woman. <laughs> a woman! <laughs> yeah, 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 it's... yeah. I'm not here for all of that. Listen, I'm not here to date Erica Badu's brother, okay? okay. Like, I mean, Eric, like actual Erica Badu, like, is a problematic faith. Um, yes, oh. I don't really want her brother, cousin, daddy, uncle. I don't want none of them. I don't want none of them. Just hello, my queen. I'm like, nope, nope. We're good here. We're good here. Thank you so much. You have a great day, sir. I don't want to have a conversation about CMOS. I don't. Okay. I do talk about CMOS. I don't want to talk about lizard people. I don't want to talk about any of those. Th I don't want to talk about 5G. I do don't. <laughs> I don't want you to know that I got the, like, I got the vaccine, but I'm not ready for you to call me a sheep. No, I just yeah, got the vaccine. With at the open mic. We're not. We're, at not, the open mic. we're not doing that. Now, where did you start doing your open mics at? Like, was it Baltimore, D.C.? I started in Baltimore. The first open mic I ever hit was called Warm Wednesdays, and it was co-hosted. So like a similar model to what we do at Sanctuary Noir, there were two hosts. One was Walter Maxfield Jones, and the other is Love the Poet. I had the biggest crush on Love the Poet. She is just the cutest damn thing. She's married now, so like that ship has sailed. But love the poet. And I don't think I've ever said this to her in person. So maybe this episode will circulate into her world. But I really thank her for creating a space where my little queer ass, who was like 15 or 16 at the time, and I'm pretty sure you were supposed to be at least 18 to get in that bitch. But love the Statue poet. of limitations. Statue of limitations. We are past it. Statue of limitations. Okay. Y'all can't come find me now. 
but love the poet really made space for queer people to get on stage and be queer. We didn't have to water down our poetry. We didn't have to appeal to a straight audience or a straight gaze. Like we got to go on stage and feel safe being and loving and expressing exactly how and who we are. And so that really let me grow into myself as a writer, but also as this like fully actualized sexual being that just happened to use writing as a way of expressing that. I love it. I love it. And what I appreciate about you is that uh, you were another example to me. And I know if you were an example to me that you were an example to other people of just being black, femme, queer, and uh, open and honest with sexual like sex, be it the education, the energy, everything. To where I was just like, I'm not going to lie. I've admired you from afar. A lot. Like, who, 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 who are, who, who is she? Who, who's Eden? Who's, who's Eden? And it was Ho-Hive. Ho-Hive was something I was just like, I'm going to see this beautiful human being in Ho-Hive. And the way that you command a crowd is... Damn, Gina. That's all I can say is just, I oh my love goodness. Hosting. Like, I think performing poetry was my gateway drug to hosting because now hosting is all I want to do. Now give me a mic and like an open format and I will fucking shine. I love to host. I love emceeing. I love being the person that keeps a show moving and the person who gets to like really interact with the audience between performances and even the person i love being the person who gets to stall when some shit is fucked up listen that's my favorite favorite part let the dj get somebody's song wrong let the lighting cue be fucked up let somebody not be dressed yet and i will grab that mic honey and we will put on a show oh my gosh i love it i love it I love it. It's also the, the thing of, what do I say? Uh, one of the hosting things I learned was always have a 30 second joke, a one minute joke, or like five minutes in your back pocket because you never know what's going to happen. But I say have that prepared, but like you, I know we like to, we like to just riff off of the free shit. Yeah. Like whatever, whatever happening. <laughs> it's whatever's going on. Usually my, my go-to is flirting with people in the front row. I love flirting with the VIPs. I love to find, there's always somebody just in a fly ass fit or just a black woman whose skin deserves some some moment of shine. Like, yeah, I love it. I love just like flirting with the crowd. Oh, oh and such a flirt you are because you like you win people over with your charm and charisma. Like, <laughs> it's wild though because oftentimes people don't realize that it's like a part of the, you know, a part of the performance. And so they're really like looking for me afterward. And I'm just like, oh, sweetie, like the show, the show is over. It's- like you were a doll for allowing this interaction, but I'm not actually trying to go home with you. Right. Right. No, I, I'm pretty sure that I performed burlesque and hosted sex parties, but it's about to get down to the nitty gritty and I dip. 
Yeah. Because they're waiting for me. And I'm like, mm, now I got a, what do, what do I always say I got at home? I got some wings at home in the air fryer that deserves some love and affection. <laughs> Come on, wings in the air fryer. In a J. In a J. Okay. That's what I got for me. There is always so, white wine being chilled for there me. There is always a white wine being chilled. Like, you I love it. Usually a nice box wine is waiting on me at home. I love it. Oh, I love it. Oh, oh. So Eden with hosting, uh, can you, I know that you and I co-host and co-produce and co-make this bad, this amazing thing, be a badass, like amazing thing. Sanctuary Noir, tell me your thoughts on Sanctuary Noir, because everyone here is mine. I need to hear yours as my co-host. <laughs> right, here it goes. We're getting into it. Sanctuary Noir was such a gift uh, when it was presented to me back in September of 2020. I had been dancing for OG Sanctuary for literally two months. And then the idea was presented that there should be a fundraiser show. And so I'm getting into like origin story. I don't know if we're going to have to edit some of this out, but here we go. So <laughs> the idea was presented that we should have a fundraiser show. And then it was also requested that I host it. Cool. Always down to host. Definitely my jam. So the first lineup was the two of us. One other black femme dancer, and then Eva Mystique. You're right, Eva Mystique. How could I forget my fucking fave? Um, <laughs> and then a white girl, and I had so many people hit me up after the show, like, "Okay, so explain the concept because I thought Sanctuary Noir was gonna be black people," and I was like, "Well, yeah, that makes sense. Like, I didn't originate the title nor the." concept but if i'm if i'm going to do this i want it to make sense so yes let's let's make it make sense let's make a thing called sanctuary noir center black and brown performers and so after that show that that first that very first show it was handed over to me as as a whole and i was like oh no i'm not doing this by myself this seemed like a lot of work um <laughs> I'm down to like do all of the things, but I need help. And the first and only person who came to mind was you. I was like, you're absolutely the person that I want to do this with. I trust you. I think that you know what the fuck you're doing. Even if you don't, hell, I don't always know what I'm doing, but I'm damn good at winging it. And so I was so... I was so hyped to like have the opportunity to work with you because I thought you was going to say no. I thought you were going to be like, oh, I'm not doing this little show. Like I have bigger fish to fry. I'm out here trying to change the fucking world and I don't have time to co-produce this little virtual show. But as soon as you said yes, I was like, oh, bitch, this is about to be major. First meeting, I was just like, thank you. Thank you, stripper Jesus for putting this human being right in front of me. 
And like, you're right. It's the way that noir was spelled is, and I had to say like, it's coded in black dialect and like the way it's spelled. That is how the, you know, even if you go in vintage black burlesque stuff, noir is spelled exactly like that's coded language for us. Um, I'm very thankful that the creator of it was just like, you are absolutely correct. <laughs> that was my mistake. And I was just like, so tell that white girl that performed. We are so sorry, girl. But you're but not coming. Our, uh, but you're not coming back to situation. <laughs> and what you said about coded language is so right because we as black producers and creators and organizers don't have the luxury of saying this is for black people without having to deal with a whole bunch of pushback, without having to deal with accusations of reverse racism, which is not a fucking thing without having to explain that we get to have things that are just for us, just like other people have had things that were just for them for mm. a very long time and with much intention in making it so. And so we rely on language like the word noir spelled N-O-I-R-E to mean black and for black people and by black people and centering the beauty and the nuance of our blackness. And so I love the fact that we were able to take that and run with it and create this dope ass show that not only showcases and allows like black and brown performers to do what the fuck we do, but we live in through a Pantene Pro V and all of our money has not been right for the entire time. So I mean, yes. To supplement, some of us have been completely without income. And so being able to work from home, essentially, has been a fucking saving grace. Like there were weeks where Sanctuary Noir was the only money I was making. And so I was so fucking thankful to be able to have that. I, I really do have to agree that there are times like, yeah, I was getting the unemployment or, or trying to get the unemployment and Sanctuary Noir came in through a clutch. Yes. You know, you know, there was one time I was just like, baby needs new shoes. Let's go. You know, like, <laughs> you know, I need to eat. You know, exactly. I, I love how we also when we're on the show, we're just like, hey, so but um, I would like to eat some dinner tonight. I have been shaking my ass for you. Buy me dinner. I think one time I asked someone to pay my light bill and they paid it. Um, I love love that. But also, Eden, I love watching you dance. Like, how did you... How did you become a dancer? First of all, the fact that you said that is making me blush because you're like, what the fuck? Like, Gigi Holiday likes me dancing You give me, so, you know, I'm a a firm believer in hood feminism and I feel like you and I are that good bougie hood feminism. Oh yeah. Yeah. We're, 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 what does I call it? Bougetto. 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 And a lot of your movements, you know, as a burlesque educator, a lot of your movements are what I grew up watching at strip clubs. And even when I worked at a strip club, that's, you know, I would be doing the same movements you're doing. And the white girls be like, what the fuck is that? And I'll be like, hood, bitch. Like, (laughs) (laughs) but how did you like become a dancer? And also what I always, I need to start asking this question to people. And so you're probably going to be my first one. Uh, What was it like to get that first tip? 
Oh, that's a good one. Okay. <laughs> How did I start dancing? I, oh, I'm about to like dig up some childhood shit here. So when I was a very, very small child, like four years old, my parents put me in a dance class, like in this little dance program. And because my parents aspired to be like respectable black folk, um, they did not want me running around and being loud and like congregating with the other kids. And so when my group got called on stage, I wasn't with them because I was sitting down with my parents where they wanted me. So I had been in this class. I had learned the steps. I had on my cute ass little outfit and I didn't get to perform with my class. And that has sat with me my entire fucking life. Wait, why didn't you get to perform with your class? Because they they wrangled up all the kids from the hallway where they were just being kids and I was sitting with my parents. So like they didn't know to look for me because all the other kids were in the hallway. So when they went up on stage, I wasn't with them. Did you hear that parents? Did you hear that? See, this is what happens, okay? When you deny a child something in their childhood, they're going to search for it in their adulthood, and they're going to excel at it in their adulthood. Yeah. I just want parents to, if you're a parent, I need you to hear that. Okay. If you're a parent, (laughs) like, that's some real shit, and I realize, like, in my own healing work and shadow work that I've been doing, that's something that's a memory that is really prominent for me. And so I've dabbled in dancing, just like going to pop-up classes. Um, I have some folks that are local who do like really amazing heels classes. Um, shout out to Chris Reed and Sierra Adair um, and Ty Courtney from Ballet After Dark. Like they all have these amazing open kind of all levels classes that I'll like go to get my fix and then go back home. And so when I was in college, I did a little bit of stripping because that is when I was introduced to the world of stud strippers. Let me Mm. tell you, you stud strippers changed my life and shaped me into the bitch I am today. Okay, so let's talk about it. Let's just let me give a moment of silence to my to my queerness in the beginning. Didn't even know I was queer when I I saw a stud stripper and it was just like. Like the heyday of the DC stud stripper scene. Like I went to college in like closer to DC. So I got to very much experience the DC lesbian nightlife scene. And I'm talking about the days of the Delta. I'm talking about the days of the Aqua. I'm talking about the days of what was that other spot called? Five Star. And then like Blade used to have parties. At all I remember going to CFE. I do remember going to CFE. It was always somewhere. It, uh, it, it was yeah. Like, it was always something. But I remember seeing Erotic and Baby and Face and Lucky and all of these dancers. And I'm just like, wow, I love this. Like, I had never seen strippers or exotic dancers 
that were allowed to portray masculinity in that way. And I'm, I'm talking like outside of the cis male, like Chippendales, Magic Mike type shit. I'm talking about like female assigned for lack of better term, um, mm-hmm. people with like boobs and hips and like bodies like mine, but in sports bras and leather chaps and like cowboy hats and Timberlands and like muscle shirts that they just ripped off. And this was just, something that I needed to be close to. And so there were femme dancers who danced alongside the stud strippers. And a couple of my friends were stud strippers at the time. I even dated one. Hey, pleasure. Um, Name that long ago. And now pleasure over everything is my kind of business or alias but yeah shout out to you pleasure and pain um that they were a duo they were adorable oh, one, oh. one was chocolatey one was caramel they were both like five feet even they were adorable um i but, yeah. love it so i started dancing as a part of this kind of world of the dc lesbian nightlife and it was so so you was out there with uzi you know i was I was. Um, and even Egypt. And yes. I didn't realize that Egypt did did time in, you know, in, in DC performing. And I was like, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I saw Egypt perform at least once at the Delta. Yeah, same. Pretty sure that happened. Uh, but yeah, like it was just such an affirming scene in terms of like how. I get to be sexy, how I get to express my sexuality. Um, And also one of the things that I loved about the scene is that because a lot of these parties happened in like really random places, um, they weren't full nude shows. So you could get just as naked as you were comfortable getting, which was really amazing for somebody who was like just figuring this out, right? Like just figuring out how much access I wanted people to have to me, especially because I was in school, I was in a sorority, I was campus royalty, I was the president of an on-campus organization. And so at that point in time, I hadn't yet figured out what it meant to be all of those things. Mm. I, I, I hadn't yet seen a model of what it meant to be a college student and super like academically involved and extracurricularly involved and be a dancer and be an exotic entertainer and want to be a sex educator. Like there was not a model for me on being all of those things. And so I had to figure out how to become that because I knew somebody else needed that. And I think that of course there's this like super pervasive stereotype of like, Oh, I'm a stripper to pay my way through college. That's not everybody's narrative. Exactly. Like I, my college was paid for, so I didn't have to dance. I wanted to, it looked fun. It was a way for me to hang out with my friends. It was a way for me to express my sexuality without actually having sex. It was a way for me to be my full self because being all these other parts of myself, didn't allow me to express this one thing. So I got to do that and be that and show other people that it's possible. Yes. I always find it interesting that people have that stereotype of trope of like, if you are a stripper, no matter the race, but definitely more for the black community that you are working your way through college. Shout out to Players Club. Players Club really put that in people's head and we all just went with it. 
And we shouldn't have went with it, you know, because she, I mean, yeah, she was paying through her college, but like you said, there are people out there who just wanted to strip. Yeah. There's always this idea that it's okay to be a stripper if it's a means to an end, even on uh, P Valley, which I fucking love. It was okay for her to be a stripper because she was trying to open this dance school. So she got to be the protagonist and she got to be the character that we're supposed to root for because it was a means to an end. And there was always a conversation of her getting out. There was always a conversation of when her end day would be. But some people actually just want to dance. Maybe it's a side hustle. Maybe it's something they do. Just be fucking cuz. Maybe they really enjoy wearing the costumes. It's less about the money and more about the freedom and the creativity. So I think it's really dangerous to keep assigning this idea that any type of erotic art has to be a means to an end. It can literally just be. Agreed. Agreed. That is something that I know I've been fighting with of just like with everyone else was like, it's not a means to an end, you know, even had to tell myself, one time, you know, early on, I was like, I don't want to die on stage. Like, I want to I want to do something else. You know, this is just a stepping stone. And then I had to go recently and go, no, bitch, this is the mountain. This yeah. is it. Yeah. You, you going to live up here and you're going to enjoy the house that you have built. Exactly. Like as a writer and as a poet, of course, Maya Angelou is somebody that I absolutely look up to. And Who was a stripper? Leave it out of her narrative that she was a sex worker. And then when you bring it up, folks are like, oh, well, no, that's not what she ultimately became. So that part of the story is not important. And I want people to know that regardless of what I ultimately become, me being a sex worker is an important part of my narrative. To the gays, the days and the thems, the gays, girls, the gays and the days, y'all heard that. It's a part. It it's is a there. piece. It's, it's there. It's never going anywhere. I like that TikTok sound where it was like, here comes the whore. Welcome. <laughs> Welcome. I'm like, that's me. Here comes the whore. Here comes the slut. Here comes the, the, the sexy bitch. Here, you know. And, exactly. you know, also, I am highly educated. You think I was dumb? Again, there are no dumb strippers. Okay. There are no dumb sex workers. Okay. There's none of it. You like there's it doesn't exist. And when I make it a part of my narrative, when I walk in the room and tell you that I go by slut of the month, when I walk in the room and tell you that I'm femme daddy, when I walk in the room and tell you that I'm a sex worker, you can't hold that against me. I've already made it a part of my narrative. I've already led the conversation. I've already put it out there. So I'm not on the offense waiting for you to find out and having a comeback or having to protect myself. Like I'm done with that part of my life. I'm done with the part of my life where I have to have this armor about pieces of my identity. Like, nah, it's all there. It's all a part. It's all in the bio. It's all in the bio. Like I have had folks cancel gigs on me because they read the bio and was like, oh, I thought you just like, talked about this stuff i didn't know you actually like did it I how am i supposed to know how am i supposed to know what it feels like what it tastes like what it touches like 
what exactly. it looks like. Yeah, folks value academia way more than they value real world experience. So they'd be more comfortable with me saying that I have a master's in human sexuality than me saying I've been fucking for a really long time and taking notes and observing how other people fuck and how they interact and what they want to know, what they're scared to say, what they want to do, but don't know how to express that. Like people, people are scared of this idea, especially as a black femme, that I, I get to be those things and coexist with people who don't. They think that we're supposed to be in this little like corner of the world all by ourselves, only interacting with each other. And when we are in the world, when we are co-mingling and in community with everybody with their, you know, nine to fives and with their service jobs and with their whatever else they do, it shakes up the idea. It shakes up lots of things. It shakes up our ideas of partnership. It shakes up, shakes up our ideas of capitalism. It shakes up our ideas of education. Like it just, it shakes the foundation in a way that people don't be ready for. Ooh, I like that. You, you said something once and I definitely want to bring bring this up in, in conversation here. I mean, it was just like, if you're not a sex worker, you're a volunteer. Yes. And <laughs> I remember when you first said that to me and I was just like, mm, damn. And I thought about the times that I definitely was a volunteer and, and it was before I accepted the fact that no bitch, you're a sex worker. Yeah. What you're doing is, is, is sex work. And to where I, you know, when dating people, I've had to tell them, I hope I want you to know I'm a sex worker. I said it at a panel once and you heard the whole audience go. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, you know, sex work is like doming and like there's so many layers to it. I said, but y'all just kind of giving this shit out for free, Mm -mm, baby. Exactly. Like sex and sexuality and desire and fantasy and pleasure are a part of everyone's lives. Whether you are actively having sex or not, you may be asexual, aromantic, you may be celibate, you may have a religious affiliation that blocks you from being able to engage in sex with yourself or a partner. That doesn't mean that sex is not a part of your life. It means that the way it shows up is different. It means that you've made choices about where your boundaries are and how you engage. But sex is still a part of your life, whether you're selling it or not, whether you're having it or not, whether you're talking about it or not. The media that you consume is filled with sex. The people that you are around, like knowing that your friends are married or having kids or partnered or swiping on tinder all night like that is having access to pieces of their sexuality and sexual identity so sex touches every single part of our lives whether you are formally attached to sex work as a means of income or not so if you're not a sex worker if you are not a person that gains income or gains access or gains something tangible from your participation in sex or selling fantasy or guiding folks towards pleasure, you're a volunteer. You're still attached to sex and sexuality. It's just not attached to your income. It's not Mm. your, you know, means of access. It's you're still doing it. 
And and that's so that's the whole thing with the silhouette challenge and the busted challenge. You know, it was very interesting to watch these people do it. And then, you know, they're shitting on sex workers. I'm like, wait, baby, you just you just did what I get paid to do. Exactly. And to where when people are just like, do you think burlesque and stripping will ever go away? And I have been on record to say, no, because y'all still doing a silhouette challenge. <laughs> That's why it's not going nowhere. Thanks. Mother Mar- Mary Magdalene just just did just busted. OK, in the nun uniform. It's never going anywhere. And I'm glad that you are one of the many people that are showing that it's not going anywhere. You know, I'm waiting for the day that I adopt two girls and I go, all right, Eden, uh, you go ahead and give the sex talk. I'm gonna step out. <laughs> Maybe I'll sit here and take notes. I'm like, Send all your little nibblings my way. Yeah. We <laughs> have the conversation. Like we will talk about it. And I just, I also feel like, awkwardly enough, that's like a good, good thing of just like, I know there's so many people out there who don't, who are nervous to have the sex talk with their kids. And I know I've literally told one of my friends, I was like, how about I give you the information to one of my friends? She does this for a living. I feel like if you can negotiate a fee, she can sit down and talk to a little black girl about sexuality and like what's happening. And you know, as a book nerd myself, I had to learn it on my own. You know, Brenda tried, Brenda tried. Okay, Brenda did her best. But it's, I, I wish I had someone like you growing up to be like, here's the deal. <laughs> because I realize that it's not one conversation, even for an adult, there's not one conversation that leads to your sexual awakening or your sexual liberation. There's not one conversation that leads to good sex or sexual safety. It is a curation of your environment. It is a setting of boundaries. It is a bunch of understandings about who you are and how you show up in the world and how you want to be treated. And so talking to kids about sex isn't just like, oh, you just started your period or you just hit puberty or you just had a wet dream. So now we need to talk about what happens when you're with another person. Setting your kids up for sexual safety and sexual pleasure Ultimately, because like you don't want your kids to have bad sex. I mean, you don't want your you you don't necessarily want to sexualize your kids in that way to think like, yes, I want you to put it down. But if you're thinking about your kids dating and being married, then like, yeah, chances are sex is going to be a part of that. And so it starts early with setting boundaries and making sure that your kid is comfortable in their body and knows that they have access to their body before anybody else does. Like these are the conversations that start literally from birth and probably before that with talking to the people around you, the people who are your kids, like letting them know that, okay, so we're not gonna like shame this little person for putting on the clothes that they want to wear. We're not going to shame this little person for dancing and putting their hands on their knees and throwing it back because that's what the fuck we doing. And that's the way their body just feels like moving. And it doesn't mean anything when they do it. They're literally just moving their little body. So it, it starts way before 
the idea of a kid having sex ever comes up. Right. I, as a, as a former preschool teacher, I do, I try to have the conversation mm-hmm. with parents about your kid is humping and parents are very much like, Oh my God. And I'm like, no, it's actually natural. And you just need to explain to your child that they need to do this in private times, yeah. you know, like things like that. Cause trust, I definitely did have one student who was like in the middle of the classroom. And I was like, okay. I actually need to confront this. And I did it in such a beautiful, you know, we're taught to do it in such a beautiful way that you're just like, hey, this is something you do in your private times, blah, blah, blah. Like, this is just what it is. And parents are the more freaked out by it. But the staff were just like, okay. And you're right. That conversation does need to happen at an earlier age. So you should be able to tell your four-year-olds, Hey, I understand that you would like to feel good before your nap. Can you wait until you are at home before bedtime? And kids are just like, oh, I can't do this in public. That's such a healthy way to think about it. And so I actually just had a conversation about this this past weekend at Sex Down South where folks were saying, that like as as grown adult women, they had never masturbated, never touched their pussy, never like been in touch with their body in that way. And I'm like, chances are you probably have. You just don't remember having your hands slapped away when you did it. You just don't somebody punish you or send you to your room when you did it. You just don't remember somebody telling you, you don't ever do this. This is not okay. But it imprinted on you whether you remember it or not. And it informed how you interact with your body for the rest of your life. And that's you. Oh my God. on the head, Eden. Y'all see why I fuck with her? You see why I fuck with her? You see why this is my work wife? You see why this is my work wife? Y'all see this? Just, mm. So you went to sex down South. Yes. How I've never been there. And I want to go there because I just feel like, I belong. I would love to be able to talk about how black visual media made like the music videos, all the shit like that made us, us. So (laughs) what what did you, yeah, y'all need that? Please let me know. Um, But what did you do down at Sex Down South? Because I also got to see, you got to meet King Noir. Bitch, I'm jealous. Okay, so let's talk Bitch, about sex experience. So Sex <sighs> is a sexuality conference that is led by Black queer women and that centers the sexual experiences of Black people. So that makes it such a unique environment because like King Noir gave a keynote speech and it was called Decolonizing Your Sexuality. And he started his speech with a, with a rap, like with bars. So, of course, we're all sitting in our seats trying to get ourselves together because this fine-ass motherfucker is spitting. But then he gets to the meat of the discussion and he said, there are multiple types of oppression that inform how we all experience our sexuality. We're here to talk specifically about the oppression that informs how Black people experience our sexuality. 
This is not an environment to not all men. This is not an environment to, oh, but it's some cool white people. Like, no, this is not the environment for that. We're specifically talking about what is keeping black people from being sexually free. Oh my God. That's like that was the that was the highlight for me. And I got to meet so many other dope people too. Like the weird thing about this panacotta that we are living through is this that pussy popping on a handstand. Okay. Somebody <laughs> called in a pandemic Lovato and I fell the fuck out. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready. <laughs> But, you know, we're living through this Panera Bread and we have made really intense virtual connections with people. And so going to Sex Down South, I got to meet a lot of these people in person for the first time. And there wasn't even like a, hey, I don't know if you remember me from online. I'm so and so. No, like I got to meet Ashley Cobb, Sex with Ashley. She was at the registration desk and legit just handed me my badge. Like there was no exchange. Like, I know who this is. I was like, oh, hey, and handed me my stuff. Like we knew each other. Like it has been so amazing. Like it was three full days of just connecting with people, learning from my peers. And we were all together. Like, yes, King Noir and Jet Setting Jasmine were there. Amazon Tayomi was there. Marla Stewart is the one that like is at the helm of everything. Her and Tia put it together every single year. And then there were a bunch of folks, like I said, that I've met on social media, folks who have masters of public health, folks who have doctorates, folks who have gone the academic route, folks who are bloggers, folks who are social media influencers, and folks who just care about living as a sexually free person. Folks who just exist and live and know that sexuality is a part of their life and want more information about it, want to know or want permission to explore. And so we all were together. It wasn't some like hierarchical thing. We just coexisted for three days. And the way the conference is set up, there's like daytime workshops and keynotes and um, vendors and like all sorts of ways to interact with folks there's also a healing space which is like necessary because sometimes you're introduced to a part of yourself that you've been suppressing that you need to go and process or you're introduced to some new information that fucks up your entire understanding of the world and you just need to go be held for a little while so there's that and then there's nighttime activities where you get to put on your kinky best and show the fuck out and so that was lots and lots of fun for me. I I want to go. I want to go to there. You should be there. I'm I'm literally recruiting. Like I'm telling all my people. Like okay, so block off your second weekend in September. Yeah, because we have plans. Because I really that's I I have been in black kinky spaces and it was very massaging noir. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to mention one of the places because they're actually pretty big. But I did not feel comfortable there. But I, and then I have also been in a kinky space where it was majority white people. Mm-hmm. And I definitely felt exotified and, and fetishized and all those things. Uh, got some great clients, though. Uh, <laughs> but I would love to be in a space. And I know our listeners would love to, that, are, that are black and brown would love to be in a space 
like that where, yeah, let's decolonize that mindset. And a lot of us are doing it on our own. Absolutely. And like you did it without a guidebook. You did it on your own without a guidebook. You were yeah, your own Sharpa, like, so to now speak. Now I'm working like retroactively to do some of the, the like formalized learning, to get some of the mentorship, to pursue certifications in certain things that I like learned about on my own. And now I know that other doors will open for me because of the value that we put on academia, because of the value of like nepotism and people being able to be like, oh yeah, uh, like I'm, I'm doing that retroactively after I've already kind of laid the foundation for myself. And also, like you said, a lot of us are doing this on our own because we figured out that kink is healing. We figured out that kink is a way of transmuting trauma into something beautiful. We figured out that kink is a way of exploring sensuality and eroticism with clear boundaries and clear markers of safety. And a lot of us, a lot of black people, a lot of brown people look at kink and say, oh, that's some white people shit. That's some crazy ass, 50 shades of gray. I'm not doing none of that bullshit. But it, first of all, that's like a very linear definition of kink, especially if you're looking at Fifty Shades of Grey, because that was just a CSI episode, okay? So, <laughs> where was the who? Where was the who theme song? Which who theme song would it have been? <laughs> yeah, like that's not that's not the framework that you want for kink. Um, kink is not linear. Kink is multifaceted. Kink is not inherently painful or abusive kink can be sensual and soft some people have a tickling kink some people have a, a stuffed animal kink some people just like to go to play parties and cuddle there was a cuddle puddle at the sex down south and it was just beautiful to witness i love it mm, i bet you it smell like shea butter and like <laughs> yes I love us. That's what I really say. I feel like us is a set. It's just gorgeous. There, me, you know, being in New York now, I have looked at women down the street going, I bet you smell like shea butter and pink lotion. Okay. And I went in. Comfort smells. If it smells like oil sheen and eco style, I know that's, that's where I'm supposed to be. Listen, uh, hairdresser. If it smells like a black hairdresser, I'm happy. Okay. Can I get that as a candle? Black right, hairdresser. Right. <laughs> where's Where's the candle making people? Like somebody needs to have the official like candle line of all of these things that we just said. And yes, play pay black femmes because the concept originated right. Right. Listen, Eden. I feel like it's just you and I right now. Let's just go ahead and just <laughs> make a collection. <laughs> Let's do it. You know I'm. You know I'm a crafty hoe. You know I love a trip to the craft store. I will go and get wax melts in a minute. And we will figure out the scents. Okay. Fuck out. I will read all of the ingredients on all of the things and figure out how to extract those familiar scents that just let us know we home. We home. Like I love the smell of just hair being done, and I love the smell of you know skin so soft. And <laughs> it's just something inherently beautiful about it. And I think that's what's beautiful about black sex. Yes. 
you know, black sex is beautiful and gorgeous. And it, it sucks that, you know, a lot of us don't think that kinky is, is with, uh, you know, people yeah. say kinky, that white shit. It's not like, it's Can not something else during his keynote. And I'm, I'm gonna paraphrase it. Cause I don't remember exactly what he said, but it was something along the lines of black people are so used to being someone else's fetish that we don't know how to indulge in the fetish. Oh, shots fired. My chest, my chest. <laughs> used to being fetishized to being the object of someone else's fetish that the idea of us developing our own kink language and our own fetishes is scary it's like nah that's not for me i'm just supposed to perform i'm not supposed to have my own narrative around this but when you decolonize that and realize that you get to have fetish, you get to have fantasy, you get to have kink, you get to have exploration, then it opens up a whole world of like, well, shit, what else can I have? If I get to have all of that, then why can't I have a million dollars? Why can't I have a house on the hill? Why can't I have all the Brandon Blackwood bags? Like I get to have all of those things. Oh my gosh, Eden, this is why you're you. You just blew my mind. Cause you're right. We, I'm, we get I really to have all those things. I myself a possibility model. Like I take what I've seen and what I've heard and what's been given to me, and I funnel it through my Black queer non-binary femme identities, and I say, "Hey, there's more of us, and we get to have all of these things too." Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> there's more of us, and we get to have other things. Do you know, like? A tidbit about me just recently, like I would say during this Peter Piper pickle pepper that I was just like, I want people to, I want someone to rub my feet. That is a level of intimacy and a level of care and a level of things that I want. And I finally have it. And I was just like, why did it take me so long to get here? And I was like, oh, let's think about the people that I dated and how they made me think about foot worship or foot care, you know, the caring of me, the caring of myself, you know, the intimacy of myself. You know, one of the most intimate and beautiful and sexy things that I still think about my parents is that my daddy greased my mama's scalp. That's beautiful. It's beautiful. But also I like it, you know, I'm very weird when people touch my hair. You have to be deep, deep into it for me to for you to touch my hair. But like, once I finally got that, I was just like the way my eyes rolled on the back of my head, the way the first time that I got to do, um, I was suspended, you know, like partial tied up, partial suspensive. Oh yeah. Bondage. That's it. Bondage, partial suspension. I have to admit my brain stopped thinking. I was clear. I was free. Yeah. And it was hard to, for me to even mention that to my next partner. I'm just like, that's what I like. And now I feel comfortable in saying like, Hey, you want to try some, you want to try some freaky shit? Like, <laughs> you know, that's, oh my gosh. So we're rounding out. I still want to know the answer to this question. How, what was the feeling when you first got tipped? Oh my goodness, I loved it, okay? Can we just talk about how much I was missing, like dollars touching my skin during the Papa's on chair? Like, 
It's a feeling. I tell people, like I talk to people often about exploring your sensual relationship with yourself and just doing things that make your body feel good. So I'm gonna go ahead and give this homework assignment to your listeners. Go Ooh. to your bank branch, get a hundred dollars in ones, lay them on the floor and roll around in them. Put on something sexy, whatever you feel sexy in. It could be a three-piece suit. It could be absolutely nothing. But like throw the money on the ground and roll around in it. There is something so affirming about that feeling. And a lot of it is because of the ways we've attached sensuality and sexuality to capitalism. But that doesn't mean we don't get to have fun in that. That doesn't mean we don't get to subvert that and benefit from it. So like cash out and roll around in it. It feels so good. And being able to replicate that with Cash App and Venmo notifications has been like the best thing. Not only them dings and vibrations, honey. Them dings and vibrations. Like it just feels so good. And I really also love with virtual tipping the fact that people get to say what the tip is for. So I I have a little bit of a shoe fetish. I have lots of heels, lots of pumps, lots of boots. And so every now and then I'll get a tip with a little shoe emoji. Cause somebody just like my shoe. I love it. I love it. Also like my next question with, with just a follow-up of the money situation is when you see the money being thrown on stage or wherever you're performing, does it make you go harder? It does. It does. It's motivating. I think that I'm always immensely grateful to the first person to tip. Even if you come and lay a dollar on the stage, you have not only shown that like, hey, someone values what the fuck I'm up here doing, but you also show everybody else how to act. You also Mm. show everybody else in the space that this is how you show your gratitude. Like, yes, we appreciate cheers and claps and woo and yes and all of that. But I I can't really do nothing with that when I go home. Uh, My rent don't give a fuck about a woo or a yes. Like the money is what helps me sustain. And when I don't have to worry about money, when I am financially provided for, I have space to be creative. I have space to continue to make things and and be silly and and see what comes of my creative energy. So like, I love it. I absolutely love when people put money on the stage. I absolutely love when people come up to me and ask if they can put money somewhere on my body. I'm not a fan of this assumption that just because someone is dancing or performing for you, you have access to touching their body. Um, That is not the case. So next time you are at a strip club or a burlesque show or a drag show or wherever you may be, don't just take it upon yourself to stuff money in somebody's outfit. A lot of times we got shit rigged in a way that if you touch it, it's going to crumble like Max's dress on Living Single when she stole it. Like, Not Max's dress, though. I remember that. It's you can't just go stuffing stuff places because next thing you know, you didn't ruin the reveal, or you something fell off or out, or you didn't jostle the pasty, like anything. 
It's one of those things. Do you hear that, bachelorettes? Do you hear that, bachelorettes and divorce parties? Okay. Do you hear that? Y'all are the number one offenders. Okay. For that. It is ridiculous. That's the one thing I have to get used to here in New York is that they're just white girls who are just like, give me the glove that you're about to take off. Wow, so you can try to take it home? Yeah, that's weird. And then they also want to slap your ass. And I'm like, get away from me. Go slap your pancake somewhere else, madam. <laughs> and it's still person saying pizza out here. You can't be getting all close to people without consent. Just a simple check-in. Wait until my son is done and say, I would like to tip you. May I place it on your body? And We are still in a whole pop of dough. Yeah, like just respect if I say you can put it in my hand. Respect if I say wait until my next set and I'll come get it. Or whatever, whatever the, the setup is in that venue. Like just respect people's boundaries, people's autonomy over their body. Just because someone is performing for you does not mean they belong to you. Ooh. You like that? I love that. Just because they are performing for you does not mean that they belong to you. Yeah. And that's, that's, you know what? That's the same thing with black performers. Hell yeah. Performing in white audience spaces. Yeah. Cause there's I, this pervasive idea that black people belong to white people. And so then coupling that with, this idea that performers belong to audiences being a black performer you dealing with all of that shit at the same time and you still gotta catch you know your uber and make sure the prices ain't surging and you're not gonna get killed on the way home so many things so many things so oh well eden we're about to round this out and my next question to you my final one is well actually i have two more but Bitch, what you doing next? How's like what, what, what you got on the dockets? Because I know you got something. What you got on the dockets? So I'm really in a space of exploration right now and really open to possibilities, um, especially after being at Sex Down South and being in community with so many Black femmes in the sexuality space who have money, okay? Like money. That's going to be us, sis. That's going to be us. That's going to be us. One of the things that I am currently working through is this idea that in order to be ethical, I have to be poor. And that's not true. It's not. I can move in ways that support me and the communities and the people that I care about with an abundance of money and an abundance of resources. Like I... I am very anti-capitalist in a lot of ways, but I also recognize that the country I live in, the world that I live in, I am required to have money in order to exist. So I'm trying to make more money. I have money goals in ways that I never have before. Like I'm allowing myself to assign dollar values to goals in ways that I never have before. I am setting boundaries about my prices. Once upon a time, if you hit me up and said, oh, we don't have a budget, but you can do it for exposure, I'd have been all about it. But these days, absolutely not. Like there are causes that I absolutely support and will volunteer my time for. But especially if you a white producer hitting me up talking about we ain't got no budget, just come through. Absolutely the fuck not. Um, So I really am 
trying to make money so that I can continue to do what I do so that I can live a life of ease so that I can bring folks up. I don't want to say under me because I don't think of it as a hierarchy, but I can. Tittilage. Tittilage. There you go. Look at you. You see no words. Because <laughs> it's supposed to be tutelage, but think about it. Tittilage. Yeah, no, that <laughs> works. I, like it. I love it. You didn't even have to explain it. I had it. I was like, yeah, like I'm looking forward to hitting more stages. I have a few shows coming up in the next couple of months. I already have a booking in Philly and one in Atlanta. Um, before the end of the year. So I'm trying to travel as safely and reasonably as possible. Um, I'm really looking forward to hosting more. I'm really looking forward to being on more stages and connecting with people um, and really just solidifying my niche as a sex educator. Um, I think that I, you know, when, when you're in a space of scarcity and you really believe that you got to do anything for money, then you end up talking to people who ain't even hearing what you have to say they're not your people. So now that I am in a space of abundance and cultivating and manifesting more abundance, um, I'm able to really solidify my niche. And that niche is black queer people, black queer people who desire a language to be able to engage in their identity, their sexuality, and their gender, um, and also folks who are ready to explore beyond what they were given or what mm-hmm. they were Because the identities that we were born into, quote unquote, um, are, are all a marketing ploy, okay? We uphold capitalism when we stay doing the shit that they told us to do. So when we do whole other shit as Black people, as queer people, as gender variant people, and as sex workers, we're upending the whole fucking system and the people who want to do that are my people i love it i love it so i need everyone to reach out to eden x to hire pay eden real doll as monetary financial we are flattery operated as um poison ivory would say Or uh, uh, philately operated. We need the money. But not only that, because my last question is, Eden, where can we find you? Where, okay. I'm sorry. Where would you like to be found? Right. That's a question. That's the way you phrase it, because you can find me lots of places. That doesn't but mean where I'm would you like to be found? So you can find me on Instagram at pleasure over everything. You can also find me at Sugar the Shop, which is a Baltimore-based, pleasure-focused, education-prioritizing sex store. Um, So we have all of the adult goodies that you need. So you can come through and, you know, I help you find the things that you need to just feel the way you need to feel. Um, You can also find me every first and third Friday at Sanctuary Noir with my babe, Gigi Holiday, my co-bad bitch, the flat to my drum, the coffee to my tea. Like, I'm so glad that we've got to work together on this and that we really have, like, developed a little friendship here. Developed a little friendship. Like, I'm so fucking proud of you. I'm so thankful to be able to be like, that's my bitch. Every time you do some cool shit, like, I am so proud of you. I'm proud of us. 
I'm proud of you because like I said, you, you doing the damn thing. You are really killing it out there. You're talking to people. You're putting people beautifully in their place. As I say, like just going, what we're not doing is this. That's what we're not like. I love how you just approach things. And what's great is that it works together for both of us because either I love how both of us, like, you know, you know me, I'm a triple Aries near Scorpio. So the whole thing is that we Scorpios will have someone murder for them while the Aries is like, I'm a murder you, my damn self. Oh. And, like, <laughs> and I love how we'll just like kind of take turns on the slang. Does that make sense? But then we'll also slay you together. You may not, the Aries is coming directly at you, but the Scorpio is right behind you and you don't even know. You don't even know. Or vice versa. And it's, you don't even know. But guess what? Someone is being slayed today. And also you're giving us all of your money. And, <laughs> and we're going to go get wings after this. Wings and oysters and, and the, the finest champagne money can buy. Well, Eden, it has been a pleasure and an honor and a privilege to interview you. I... I can't wait. Um, like we said, um, Sanctuary Noir, first and third. Please get your tickets. We'll be there if you'd like to see this dynamic duo and the, the what do I call it? The Black Queer Duo. If you want to see us do our damn thing, definitely come through. But also, please check out Eden X and all the amazing things that this babe is doing. I, I just, I have no, nothing else to say. Is there anything else you want to say, Eden, to our audience? I just want to say that sex work is real work. I want to say that if you are not a sex worker, you're a volunteer. And I want to say to support, believe, and pay Black femmes. That's it. You heard it. it. Cut and print. Thank you so much, Eden X. I have been your Hopra Gigi Holiday, and I will see you guys next time. Gigi Holiday here with your Aunt T's tip. Your tip is to drink water. You need the water. You need to be hydrated. You need to have smooth skin, easy bowel movements, all that jazz. So drink your fucking water and don't you forget it.